Cornerstone. How you doing? Man, it's super good to be with you today between uh, having my leg chopped off, I mean, knee replacement, and then going on vacation. It just feels like it's been a while since we've been together. So man, it is exciting to be here today starting a brand new series on purpose. Isn't it interesting that uh, when you and I meet people, uh, the first thing we ask, you know, what's your name? And then the second thing we ask is, what do you do? Yeah. That's, so hey, try this instead. The next time you meet someone, ask them their name. And then second question, ask them, hey, what's your purpose? <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, how jarring would that be? Hey, what's your purpose? Why, why are you even here taking up space? Why are you breathing? But the real reason that that would be jarring is because most of us don't know that in that moment we would have nothing to respond with. And think about this. How would you live your whole life and have no idea why God placed you on this earth? What he was hoping you would do, who he was hoping you would be, to live your whole life without purpose. How would you ever be fulfilled if you didn't know your purpose? How would you ever have influence and really bless the lives of others if you didn't know your purpose? Apart from actually discovering Jesus Christ and accepting him as your savior, this may be the second most critical conversation of your life. Matter of fact, I would even say to those in the room who are raising children right now, that instead of asking your child what they want to be when they grow up, you ought to be asking them, hey, I wonder what it is that God created you to be. What's your purpose in life? As he walked down the road, he was filled with shame and guilt. For 430 years, his people had been slaves. And yet he somehow had been able to live in the lap of luxury. He'd lived in the palace of the king. Matter of fact, some of his own people had been slaves to him. And it felt dirty. As he walked along, he came upon an Egyptian with a whip in his hands beating one of his Hebrew brothers with no concern where the whip fell, whether it fell across vital organ or across his face and took out an eye. He didn't care because Hebrews didn't matter. And filled with absolute rage, rage at the Egyptians for having suppressed and oppressed his people, rage at God for having done nothing all these years. He looked around and found a rock and with every bit of his anger, he struck the head of the Egyptian. As he looked down, it was obvious that he was dead. He dragged the body off a little further into the desert. He scooped out a shallow grave. He placed the body inside, covered it over. And as he walked back to the palace, he was filled with a sense of satisfaction. At least he had done something. At least he hadn't stood in a moment and been uninvolved. The next day, as he walked down that same road, he came across two of his Hebrew brothers 
literally in a fist fight, fighting one another. He goes, why, why would you do this? You, 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 you're brothers. You, you've got such bigger things. To, why would you fight one another? To which then one turned to him and said, what are you going to do to me? Are you going to do what you did yesterday to the Egyptian? And he knew in that moment that what he had done was known. And so he ran. He ran and he ran and he ran as far as he possibly could. And when his legs didn't want to go any further, he willed them to run further. He would spend the next 40 years of his life a fugitive. But what he did not understand is how much he gave away that day when he stepped out of the purpose of God for his life. And to understand how critical that decision was, how devastating that decision was, you and I have to go back to the beginning of the story. It's the story of Moses. So grab your Bibles and go with me to Exodus uh, chapter 2. If you're not familiar, if you just go to the front of your Bible, this is going to be the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, it's the story of the birth of Moses. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Now here's why this is critical information. Because in this period of time, the Egyptians have become fearful of the Hebrew slaves because the Hebrews are multiplying faster than the Egyptians. And the concern is, is that if they begin to outnumber the Egyptians, they would be able to overwhelm the Egyptians. So there's been a decree placed out by Pharaoh himself that every Hebrew boy that is born is to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. This is the context for the beginning of Moses' life. Verse two again, and she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and he coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at distance to see what would happen to him. You understand the plan is not a great plan. Uh, the Nile River is full of crocodiles. And, and Moses' mother is just saying, look, I, I can't kill my own son, my own child. I, I, I'll do my best to give him some chance at a life. I, I don't know how she even thought this ends, but she puts him in a basket and puts him into a crocodile-infested river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went to Moses' mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. 
And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became, you ready? A son to her. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. When you read the beginning of Moses' life, it is absolutely obvious that God has a plan for Moses. Think about this. He's born in a moment when all of the Hebrew boys are being killed. He's spared. Uh, His name is Moses, drawn out of the water, should have died, rescued. Every time he hears his name, he ought to know deep in his heart that God's hand is upon him. He is taken, you ready, into the Pharaoh's house, the most powerful man in all the world, and now he's growing up in his house as his grandson. It is absolutely obvious that God has a plan for Moses' life. My best guess is this, that that he would grow in influence, that, that he would be given some position of leadership within the Egyptian government, and that there would come the day when Moses, simply by writing his name on a piece of papyrus, would free all the Hebrew slaves. And in that moment, when Moses took up that rock and decided, I'm tired of waiting for God's plan and purpose for my life. God seems to be inactive in God, his plan and purpose for my life. I better do something in my own strength and my own ability and takes that rock and strikes the Egyptian. He steps out of God's plan. He misses God's purpose. He'll spend the next 40 years a fugitive by his own plan. Here's what you need to know. Just as surely as God had a plan and a purpose for Moses, God has a plan and a purpose for you. You, you, you may not have been born during the time in which the government was killing uh, babies. You may not have been put in a little reed basket and floated down the Nile and been found by the Pharaoh's daughter and taken into the Pharaoh's palace. But just as surely as God had a plan for Moses, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Matter of fact, here, here's what scripture says. This is uh, scripture talking to the prophet uh, Jeremiah. It says, before I formed you, God said, in the womb, I knew you. I knew who you would be. I knew what your personality would be. I would knew the plans that I would have for you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my purposes. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, this is David talking about God and how God had a purpose and a plan for his life. And here's what he said to God. He said, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You gave me the right personality. You gave me the right skills. You gave me the right abilities so that I would be able to fulfill your purpose in my life. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you, and when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, which is just a reference to his mother's womb, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. You get what David's saying? See, when I was still in my mother's womb, you knew me, you had a relationship with me, can I just as a little caveat to the side say, this is why you and I absolutely support the rights of the unborn. And guys, this isn't, this isn't about rubbing anything the Supreme Court did in someone's face. It's not about making someone feel guilty who's made a decision in their past. It's simply about recognizing that God said that little child in the womb is a person, and you don't kill persons, right? If you knew all the days ordained for me, written in your book before even one of them came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, the thoughts that you've had about me, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I'm awake, I'm still with you. One more passage. For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do, you ready? Good works. What good works? The good works that God, even when you were still in your mother's womb, looked forward and planned for you the purpose of our lives, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And guys, I'm just telling you that as definitely as God had a plan for Moses, God has a plan for each one of us, a purpose for our lives. Let me ask you this question. If God has a purpose for you, do you know it? If I were to walk up to you today and say, hey, what, what's your name? And then the next thing out of my mouth was, and what's your purpose? Would you be able to say to me, oh, I know exactly why God put me on this earth. I know exactly what he intended for my life to be about. I know my purpose. And if we don't, how do we ever expect to be fulfilled? How do we ever expect to do the thing that we were created to do. What's your purpose? Here's what you need to know, and it's what Moses discovers, that when he steps out of God's purpose, when he decides, hey, I'm, I'm gonna do my own plan, because I just don't see God's purpose unfolding, I, I, I don't understand what he's doing, so I'm gonna decide my own purpose, my own plan for my life that Moses' plan was less than God's plan. And why this is critical is this, that because as long as you and I either step out of God's purpose or don't know God's purpose, your plan, my plan, will be less than God's plan for you. There, there's an incredible conversation that goes on between God and Moses. Uh, Moses has been on the backside of the wilderness as far away from Egypt as he can get for 40 years. Uh, he's 
living uh, in his father-in-law's household. He's gotten married by now, and he's been assigned to be a shepherd. Now, here's what you got to get. Within that culture, within that time, being a shepherd, being a shepherd is about as low as you can get on the employment scale. Uh, this, is, this is an entry-level job. Matter of fact, even to this day, if you go and visit cultures where shepherding is a big deal, it's assigned to the 10 and 11-year-old boys. Guys, this is McDonald's. It's entry level. And that's where Moses has taken his life. And God meets him there and decides to have a conversation with him. And it's an interesting conversation because in the conversation, God is gonna use props. Now here's what you need to know. Every great preacher uses props. <laughs> Just saying. And so God is gonna use props to have this conversation uh, with Moses. And, and here's how that conversation goes. Then the Lord said to him, to Moses, hey Moses, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. So Moses is standing there before God and he's, he's got his shepherd's staff, the thing he uses to prod the sheep, to push the sheep, to keep them steered in the right way. And God begins the conversation in an interesting way. He says, what's that in your hand? And Moses has to say, well, it's a shepherd's staff. And my guess is that God then pauses to let Moses think. Truth be told, this, this is everything I've led my life to be because I've chosen to live outside your purpose. It's a shepherd's staff. And in the silence, what Moses is supposed to ponder is, if you had lived within my purpose, what would have been in your hand? And the answer is, you ready? A scepter. It was so obvious what God was doing by placing Moses in the palace of Pharaoh that he would have been given authority and rulership. Moses, what's in your hand? A staff. It's the wrong thing because you've chosen to do things your way and to live outside of my purpose for you. The conversation continues. The Lord said, hey, throw it on the ground. And when he threw it on the ground, it became a snake and he ran from it. So you get the moment Moses throws that staff on the ground, and immediately it becomes a snake, and he begins to run, and if you know anything about Egypt, some of the most venomous snakes in all of the world are in Egypt. But here's what I think's happening. I think when that staff turns into a snake, God, Moses is seeing his life, what he's made it to be, maybe for the first time, for what it really is. It's sin. See, it represents the stubbornness to say to God, God, I'm not willing to listen. I'm not even interested in your plan. I'm gonna do my plan. The selfishness that says, hey, look, 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 this is all about me. It's my life and I can do whatever I want. So God, just stay out of it. I don't care how much you've loved me. I don't care how much you've done for me. Let me do me. Makes a good billboard. 
I believe Moses for the first moment saw his life for what it really was because he had chosen to live outside the purposes of God. Sin. The conversation goes on. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and he took hold of the snake and it turned back into the staff in his hand. Okay, well, look, here's the deal. If I encounter a snake, the first thing is I'm probably not too inclined to handle the snake. But if I am, I am not picking that snake up by the tail. I'm taking a stick, I'm putting that stick on his neck as close as I can to his head, and then I'm grabbing him right behind his jaws so that I can absolutely control the snake. Why do you think God said, hey, take him by the tail? So that Moses would know he's not steering his life anymore. He's following whatever God has planned. Moses, you're not going to be in leadership anymore. You're not going to decide for you anymore. You're going to come along, and I'm going to hold the head from now on. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on a donkey, and he started back to Egypt, and he took, you ready, the staff of God in his hand. Did you catch that? There was an exchange that happened here. Remember when Moses first started his conversation with God? It was a staff. It was a shepherd's staff. But now that he has thrown it down, now that he's seen it for what it was, now that he's acknowledged, God, I'm not going to be in control anymore. I'm going to hold my life by the tail, and I'm going to let you steer it. Suddenly, that staff, the staff of a shepherd, became the staff of God. He'll stand in front of Pharaoh with that staff. The plagues, the 10 plagues that we read about will come as he raises that staff. He'll stand at the Red Sea with the staff of the Lord, not a shepherd's staff, the staff of the Lord. And he'll part the Red Seas and the enemies of God will be destroyed with the staff of the Lord because he's no longer holding the head. Let me ask you this. If God had that same conversation with you, if God were to sit down with you today and say, hey, what's in your hand? What would you have to answer? Would you have to say, hey, it's, it's a staff. It's, it's everything that I have made my life to be apart from your plan, apart from your purpose. This is what I decided for me. It's a shepherd's staff. If you had that conversation with God today, how would the conversation go? Here's what you need to know. When you and I decide that we're no longer the one in charge, we're no longer holding the head, we're, we're not the one forming our lives, and we allow our lives to be in the hands of God, then people around us, everyone around us is blessed because we're living in the purpose of God. Think, think about this. Because Moses lays down the staff of his life and then takes up the staff of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, he now goes back to Egypt. 430 years of slavery ends 
because Moses chooses to again live in God's purpose. Uh, While the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, God says, tell the children of Israel to ask the Egyptians to give them things. And literally, the children of Israel walk out with piles of gold and silver and the finest clothes because the Egyptians are so glad to see them leave. When they get to the Red Sea and they're trapped and the enemies are coming, God takes and opens up the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground and the biggest military army of the day is drowned. The children of Israel no longer have to look over their backs to wonder, because you ready? When you live in the purpose of God for your life, people around you are blessed. See, some of us would say, well, I mean, what what does that even look like? I mean, uh, how does that happen? It happens when you begin to say to God, God, look, I I just need you to reveal to me. Help me understand what I'm here for, what I was created uh, to do. And let me just give you a couple examples from our own church. Uh, I would tell you about uh, a gentleman by the name of Kerry Newton. He's the president of a steel company. And I remember years ago, he volunteered to actually be out in our parking crew. And I can remember thinking to myself, why is the president of a company in our parking crew? There's other things he could do. There's other abilities he have. But before I knew it, he started a Bible study with the guys in the parking crew. He was raising up young men to follow and to know Jesus more. And then I discovered that even as president at his steel company, that on a regular basis, he'd call in the welders. And I don't know if you know, welders are a rough lot. And matter of fact, especially at his company, because they make a habit of hiring ex-cons to try to give them a second chance in life. And he'd call them in and he'd just say, hey, how's your life going? How's your marriage going? How are you doing? And in the moments in which one of those young men would say, man, I'm struggling. Carrie Newton would say to them, when you want some answers, come talk to me. And over the years, he has helped dozens and dozens and dozens of young men figure out Jesus and start living for God. Because here's what Carrie Newton knew. God's purpose in my life isn't about being a president of a steel company. It's about becoming involved in the lives of young men and helping them to grow in Jesus. That's my purpose. I I would tell you about uh, Joe and Laura Gaylord. Uh, Joe was a policeman for 40 years. Laura was a nurse uh, for 30 years. And in the midst of that, they've been super involved in all of our missions work. Matter of fact, between the two of them, they've gone to India, they've gone to Africa. uh, They've been leadership involving going to Mexico and taking teams over and over again. They've been point on the thing we call City Serve, where every single quarter we just go out and just flood the streets of Chandler and go and just do projects for the underprivileged. And while we do that, we take Jesus with us. Because here's what Joe and Laura knew. My purpose in life was not being a policeman. My purpose in life was not being a nurse. My purpose in life was helping anybody and everybody find my Jesus. They just retired recently. You'd think they'd have said, hey, this is time for us to go have fun. And no, no, no. They're actually leaning in and doing more because they found their purpose. 
I would tell you about a gentleman in our church by the name of Michael Scott. He's an airline pilot. He's been, got all sorts of seniority. He's been flying for years and years for America West and then eventually for American Airlines. Truth is, if you've lived in Arizona for any length of time, flown out of Sky Harbor Airport on America West or American Airlines, Michael Scott might have been your pilot. Sorry about that landing, but it was Michael Scott. But here's the really cool thing, that when Michael Scott's having layovers, guess what he does? Instead of watching TV, he studies his Bible. Because for the last 11 years, he's led an adult small church called Bible Discovery. And, he, and here's what Michael Scott would tell you. My purpose in life wasn't to be an airline pilot. My purpose in life was to help people know their Bible richly and deeply and to live it out. I would tell you about uh, Mary Nolenberger. There was a period of time in Mary's life when she was a single mom raising six kids. Uh, she's a commercial real estate uh, realtor. She has plenty on her plate. And yet in the midst of all that, you have a hard time finding a Sunday that Mary Nolenberger's not here at the front of this stage counseling with people after service is over. And not just doing that, but I've watched her time and time and time again stay in touch with those people and call them back up and be involved in their lives. Because here's what Mary Nolenberger knows. God's purpose for my life was not to be a commercial real estate. The per God's purpose for my life was to help hurting people find healing. And guys, I'm just telling you, what, why do people that are that busy, that have such incredible why, careers, go, why, why do they spend so much time? Because they've found God's purpose for their life. And when you find God's purpose for your life, suddenly you're fulfilled and other people are blessed. So guys, here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. I'm gonna ask us to make a commitment to figure out God's purpose in the next four weeks. And so when you came in, uh, you should have gotten a popsicle stick. Anybody doesn't have a popsicle stick? This is important. How do you eat a popsicle without a popsicle stick? Now here's what I'm gonna do. I want this popsicle stick to remind us of Moses' staff, that piece of wood that he held in his hand that day when he had the conversation with God. And I'm just asking you to put it somewhere for the next 30 days where you're gonna see it at least once a day. Put it on the counter when you're getting ready to brush your teeth. Put it on the dash of your uh, car because you're driving. I don't care where you place it. Place it somewhere where you have to see it every day. And here's the question I want you to ask when you see the staff, the stick. Who, what is that in your hand? Would you have to in that moment say, that's a shepherd's staff. It's everything I've made in my life to be. Or maybe you'd have to say, you know what? The truth is there's nothing in my hand because I've decided not to control my own life. I've decided to find God's purpose. I just haven't found it yet. So there's nothing yet. How cool would it be if you could look at that stick and say, you know what's in my hand? A scepter. Because, because I have figured out what God's purpose for my life is and I'm living in it. It wasn't to be a dentist. It wasn't to work at Intel. It was fill in the blank. Here's something else I just want to encourage us all to do. This is so critical. This is so important that we've actually created small groups and small church environments in which you can sign up and go and they're gonna help you more personally just walk through how do I find God's purpose? How do I discover this for myself? 
And guys, I'm just telling you, if you don't, if you don't know, if you can't answer that question today, sign up. Uh, you simply go and you, and you, you, you uh, type into your phones, you ready? Purpose to 21999. We'll get you information back. You can decide what works the best for you, a small church or a small group. We're gonna discover purpose together. We've got a, we've got a, a, actually a conference coming up. It's a purpose conference. I would just encourage everyone is to consider attending. And again, if you just send in that purpose, 21999, you're also gonna get information about that conference. We've got amazing speakers coming in to help us figure out what God created us to be. Guys, here's what you need to know. The world needs us. Our families need us. Our friends and our coworkers need us to figure out what God created us to do. Let's pray. Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and man, suddenly our hearts are just a little bit cut, a little bit bothered by the fact that we've been able to live this long and just kind of guide and direct our own lives that we, we may have lived outside of what you intended, what your plan for us was. And with the knowledge that whatever I plan for my life, whatever purpose I decide for my life, it'll always be smaller. It'll always be less than if I placed my life in your hands. God, may every one of us resolve today to not live another day without seeking your purpose for our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning as Pastor Lynn was sharing about finding God's purpose for your life, maybe there's something stirring inside of you that you would like to talk a little bit more about or pray about. We're gonna have prayer partners up here this morning. You can also text the word prayer to 21999. For the rest of you, have a great day, have an amazing week, and we look forward to seeing you back here next Sunday.